Welcome everybody back to the Black Equity Podcast. Definitely excited about presenting this conversation to you. We just wrapped up with Mayor Candace Hollingsworth and Dr. Wes Bellamy. They are the founders of Our Black Party. And you can learn more about their organization at ourblackparty.org. We are really able to get into some really dope topics today. Um, some of those being how every state needs a chief equity officer and what that means. Also looking at the current landscape on a national and local level and what business owners and investors, especially black business owners and investors, what they can do to be more involved and have more equity in politics um, by understanding the landscape of this world. And so uh, I'm really excited about this special episode where we're going to not talk about just economics, but what to do with economics. What do you do after you've built your businesses? What do you do after you've invested? What do you do after all of that? You have to be able to then yield uh, some type of results for your community. And so this is one step towards doing that. So without further ado, let's jump into this conversation uh, with the founders of OurBlackParty.org, and uh, let's let's do it. I'm, I'm excited. I'm DJ Motri of Black Equity Network, and welcome to the Black Equity Podcast. for another great episode of Black Equity Podcast. I'm excited about this conversation uh, because we're always talking about economics. We're always talking about creating generational wealth. But one of the things that we have to do is understand where, where do we, what do we do after generational wealth appears? Once you've, built, once you've built your businesses, once you started investing in companies, what happens next? I believe through my studies through poweronomics uh, is to start looking towards the politics realm and understanding who to back and why that's important. And uh, on the line with me today is uh, Candace Hollingsworth and Dr. Wes Bellamy of Our Black Party. And I'm Mayor excited. Candace Hollingsworth. Oh, I, I apologize. I apologize. Uh, Man, put the respect on our sister's <laughs> things out here. Uh, if you could. Uh, Mayor, could you introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, political background? Sure. Um, thank you for having us today. Actually, it's really exciting always to be able to share what we're doing with a broader audience and especially an audience of people who understand one of the very key components of our platform, which is generational wealth or building generational wealth. So it's, we're really excited to be here. Um, my name is Candace Hollingsworth. I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee. So I'm a Southern girl and all of all that that means, um, for better or for worse. I live in Highsville, Maryland. 
uh, which is a small city right outside of Northeast DC. So we're about two and a half miles right outside of DC um, in Prince George's County, which you often hear when you talk about Prince, or when you hear about Prince George's County, you hear, you know, the wealthiest black county in the nation. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of that generates from white flight out of Washington, DC. Um, and actually, and also the fact that people, when black folks moved into DC because of higher costs, increased costs, riots, and all of that in DC, it's created this enclave um, on the in the suburbs where you have a burgeoning class of black electeds. And you know, at almost every level I look around me, everyone is black and in holding elected office. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when I moved here 10 years ago, I realized that there was definitely um, something missing for me, at least in this city. While it is a predominantly black county, this city is formerly a sundown town and um, one of those places where black folks didn't frequent and they definitely didn't hold elected office. So I got here, got involved really quickly, was elected to the city council in 2011, served for four years, and then was elected mayor in 2015. I'm now in my second term, ending the first year of my second term. And I look forward to learning more about uh, what it takes to, to be a mayor and some of the things that you're experiencing. But first, Dr. West Bellamy, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your uh, political background before we get into your actual organization that you've launched? Sure, sure. So thanks so much for having me. We really appreciate it. Uh, my name is Wes Bellamy or Dr. Wes Bellamy. It seems like everyone wants to call me that. Uh, <laughs> much love again. Today is actually the, the three-year anniversary of me defending my dissertation. So I became doctor three years ago. Wow. Today. Happy anniversary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My wife just told me, like, it's also the three-year anniversary of the weekend of the Unite the Right rally with the largest march, uh, white supremacist march that we've seen in recent years in Charlottesville, Virginia. So mm -hmm. it's, um, it's crazy to say the least. So I'm the former vice mayor of Charlottesville, Virginia. I served on the city council for four years. My term just ended in January. I was the youngest person ever elected to our city council and the seventh black person. And for better or worse, I'm often either lauded or condemned as one of the individuals uh, leading the efforts to remove Confederate statues here in Charlottesville. And we've seen this phenomenon take place across the country. Um, I've served on several boards, different organizations and whatnot. But for me, uh, in, in this current moment in time, I think it's most important as Candace and I and our National Steering Committee of uh, fellow Black elected officials, current and former, activists, organizers, and so forth. It's important for us to speak specifically about us owning our own politics. Um, Candace, anyone can, can do research on Mayor Hollingsworth and you'll see all of the great work she's done revolving around equity. I've done similar stuff, uh, probably not to the magnitude of Candace because she's just a superstar. <laughs> but we, we all have, you know, in our respective um, political, our political journeys, I've put in a great deal of work and it's important for us to now mobilize collectively to bring forth solutions specifically for our people. And as we often say, there's nothing wrong with us looking out for our people first. So that's kind of where I am on my political journey. I think it's important, you know, to talk about what you've done in the past, but what matters most is what you're going to do moving forward. And we're ready to work. and We are working. Uh, so uh, Mayor Hollingsworth, what what brought this together of, hey, I have my political background, Dr. West has his political background. How does 
our black party get formed? It, does it start off as just a conversation or was it, uh, was it something that was always in the works and it just took shape of its own? So there are a lot of um, small conversations I think a lot of people are having over a period of time. And one around a party is not in, not really much different. And I know there have been years that, you know, the idea has kind of bubbled to the surface. Like, we should have our own party. And it's usually when folks get frustrated, you know, like, why would we need to need our own, our own stuff? I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Is this a cussing podcast? I don't yes, want, want to make sure. <laughs> Go all in. But it always comes out, you know, we just we need to have our own stuff. You know, we need to mm -hmm. do that. Whatever. Um, but I think this year is so very different. Um, I've, kn I've known Wes for, I, I can't even remember the number. I want to say it's five or six years at this point, five years maybe. Um, and we've all had those conversations amongst elected officials, but this year it kind of bubbled to the surface, at least for Wes, who is known to have really great ideas, a lot of great energy, and the desire to see something come to life really quickly that pushes people who typically may be in the process, you know, like, no, we got to do this, 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 and this first. He's mm -hmm. like, look, we need to do it. This time, you know, it ain't going to be perfect. So let's get, <laughs> let's get it out there. Um, and let's build. That's Candace's let's way it. of saying. That's Candace's no, way of saying. Let's got good ideas, but you need other people to help us execute. No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that, you know, it, the idea comes the idea comes out and he's got the energy but because of that energy it pushed us in this moment to do it because this is the time we needed to do it you know when we especially as politicians or those of us who are in elected office we often are always worried about okay so what the what ifs you know what if we do this and it either fails or what if we do this and it doesn't look as polished as people expect it to be Mm -hmm. And the the calling that we all have to respond in our gifts at this moment is so strong that I think we just said, you know, look, we're going to bring this group together. And it's, um, you know, Wes and I, of course, but there's also a phenomenal steering committee and a phenomenal network of young elected leaders across the country who are helping build this initially. And we're, you know, expanding that network to include, you know, organizers, community activists, community leaders, and then just regular folks who want to see difference in their communities. And so we said, this is the time I'm responding in my gift, <laughs> in my strength, which is around policy and advocacy and um, kind of really paying attention to the fine details. And Wes's phenomenal strength, in my opinion, is around corralling people and inspiring folks to recognize the power that they have. And I think the, the combination of all of that is what makes this party at this moment so magical. Dr. Bellamy, you, you mentioned Charlottesville earlier. How did Charlottesville play into creating this momentum to where we are now? Do you think that plays a part in the urgency, not only of who's in the administration, but the things that you've experienced? In your past? Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. I think what transpired here in our city is just something that was on the national scale and, and it came to surface, but we know white supremacy exists uh, throughout the country in several different cities, towns, organizations, and so forth. Unfortunately, just in Charlottesville, it was broadcasted nationally on every kind of um, television screen or, or news and media outlet <laughs> really across the world. At this point, 
Uh, and I think that from, from my perspective, Chavezville kind of put um, the world on notice that white supremacy hasn't left. For those of us who wanted to kind of think that, uh, well, maybe this stuff doesn't happen anymore. And for those of us who kind of knew this stuff was going on, but couldn't, didn't really have a way to, to clearly articulate and show, hey, this still goes on. Charlottesville kind of catapulted everything and put it on Front Street. I think uh, for me personally, it opened up a, a, my world to a different set of people, not only from understanding, as Candace alluded to, I think Charlottesville really showed me that there's an opportunity for our people to stand tall in the face of adversity. And I know we can do it in Charlottesville, we can do it elsewhere. But I think from a, from a national standpoint, it kind of put me in a different position to get to meet and know different people. And through that, the network was expanded and they were able to utilize that network to do good work and cause good trouble. Um, Candace and I, as she alluded to, have known each other for, for several years. But I think um, through everything that's transpired, just me personally in my life, it's allowed me to be able to recognize some of the things that I'm good at and the things that I'm not good at. And it's good to have people around who can not only call you on your nonsense, but also help you grow and help whatever ventures that you're looking to push move forward. And Candace, as also she alluded to, our National Steering Committee and our network as a whole through OBP, we've been working diligently to do so. Um, this isn't my party, it's not her party, it's not your party, it's our Black party. And we collectively work to make this as best as we possibly can, and we're gonna continue to do so. So let's, let's get into what is our Black party? What exactly is the vision? What is the mission? And who is it for? And anybody can answer. Wes, that's on you. <laughs> I knew you was going to do that. <laughs> nah, because I, I messed it up yesterday. So now, now uh, I got to get it. I got to get it right. So I'm going to take a, another <laughs> step. <laughs> As you all can see, Candace and I, we, we, we are really like brothers and sisters, so we, we have fun and joke all the time. But in all seriousness, our Black Party is a political platform. I want to be clear that we're not a third party at this moment in time. So we always say this, and I don't have my shirt on. Before you were a Republican, before you were a Democrat, before you were independent, you were Black. And it's important for Black people to center the needs and the wants and the desires of our people in the political spectrum. There's nothing wrong with us, again, talking about what we need and what we must do. So we have created this entity, and it's a vehicle in the road to liberation. It's not the only car on the highway, but it's something that we believe will get us to where we need to be. We are an organization that has adopted the Black to the Future 2020, excuse me, Black to the Future 2020 policy agenda, in which they've interviewed, near, surveyed nearly 20, excuse me, 30 to 40,000 Black people from across the country and created this comprehensive agenda. We're in support of the Movement for Black Lives agenda and some of the things that they're doing. And we understand that Black folk are not a monolithic group. We have several different policy measures in which we're looking to address, one of which we are advocating for a thousand new Black elected officials by the year 2024. We are looking for all 50 states across the United States of America to have a chief equity officer that lies in the governor's and the gubernatorial cabinet. And we're also looking for every municipality across the country to have a commission on African-American advancement while advocating for generational wealth within our own, uh, excuse me, within our own platform. So, I mean, we have several things that we are looking to push. Um, there, are, there may be a couple things that I left off. So, Candace, you want to uh, clean me up? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but we're well, you, working. 
we're working. You know, we're, we're a group that, again, we need all the support that we can get. And it's, we don't really know what other way to put it. There's nothing wrong with us centering our needs. We're not here to disrupt the 2020 election. We're not here to uh, steal, quote unquote, anybody away. But we do think that there's nothing wrong with us prioritizing our people. Whenever black folk choose to mobilize, it's often said that it's the wrong time or bad timing. We believe that the timing is always right for our people to do what is right for our people. Mayor Hollingsworth, you, uh, well, Dr. Bellamy mentioned the 1,000 elected officials. For our audience of entrepreneurs and investors who may not understand this yet, why is it important to have elected officials from our, uh, from our perspective and from our community in office? Why is that important? Yeah, so we already know that just having, you know, elected officials, black, white, orange, or green, whatever they are, you, we already know that clearly that strategy alone is not working mm -hmm. because it hasn't yielded any significant results that people can see. You know, you'll have the occasional upswings or things that, that would probably be interesting for your audience is that you might have those occasional moments where, you know, taxing structures are modified to folks' benefits, or, you know, unemployment rates might be a little bit lower this year than they were before, um, or you might have municipalities that are a bit more business-friendly than others. But on the whole, you're not seeing any real um, dramatic changes that are allowing folks to not just have a better year, but to also catch up from a series, a series of shitty years. Mm -hmm. And so um, one of the things that we think is important with having elected officials that we cultivate and that we kind of ensure or at least have a grading scale through the through the survey process the you know the endorsement process where they are on issues related to the black agenda that we can make sure that they are focusing their work on the needs of the communities that it's not just um you know oh we're we're here to be representative in name, but also we want that representation to yield some policies and some actions and some programs that are going to be a real benefit to folks' everyday lives. Well, how do we ensure that? How do it's, we, go ahead. It's all through accountability. And I think that's one of the things that, um, it is always so fascinating to me when I think about that accountability structure and what it looks like for black people. And the thing is that it really doesn't exist. Right. You know, just the mere fact of us saying we want something is so audacious to people <laughs> that that tells us that, ah, have we not really been saying what we wanted all along? <laughs> like, what is it that has made it such that us saying what we want is so, uh, is such a haymaker for folks? Mm -hmm. And um, it's, and, and the accountability cycle has to start somewhere. And it starts with making an ask or a demand, getting a commitment. And then you follow through on what that commitment was, whether it was delivered or not. And in the process, building a groundswell of people who um, are in support of what that demand was so that there's a group of people that, peop that the person who's in office or seeking office can say, you know what, I, I don't wanna disappoint those folks over there. So let me make sure I get my act together in this regard because this is what they asked for and I need to deliver next time I show up. Yeah. And so while it might not be November 3rd, mm -hmm. we definitely are starting that process of, account of accountability now. And if we, the, the longer we wait, the longer it's gonna take for us to get there. 
Dr. Dr. Bellamy. Um, is this a place where somebody who's interested in getting into the, the, the space can come and uh, receive the necessary resources to be developed? Is, yeah. is, is that what we're saying? Yeah, so okay. we, look at, we look at our party multifaceted. So there's a lot of black folk, if we're speaking candidly, who feel politically homeless. They right. feel as if they've been uh, taken for granted by the Democratic Party. They feel as if the Republican Party may not speak to their needs. Some people identify as independents. Some of us are more conservative. Some of us are more liberal, liberal and progressive. Black folk aren't a monolithic group. Some of us are well impressed in the political kind of game, quote unquote, and some of us are still learning and trying to understand it all. And we feel as if we are a mechanism for everyone, for all of those people. So we'll be conducting you know, several different political trainings and just information to understand and explain how policies work and how this process works but we're also corralling our collective power to also address some of our needs. So again, we're for, we're for everyone. And if you feel as if you just want to center the needs of black folk, you want your voice to be heard, then we need you to come and join us, www.ourblackparty.org. Yeah, if I can add on something there, one of the things that I think uh, Wes touched on, and it's actually part of my electoral story, because I never plan to get into, elect into elected politics. I don't like talking to people in public. So that's probably the worst job for me to decide <laughs> to do. Um, so, but when I got here, what, what prompted me to run was because I started paying attention. Mm. And in paying attention, I realized, okay, who are the people that are, elect are, that are you know, representing me? What are the things that they care about? Oh, I don't hear them talking about anything that's important to me. And so what's the worst that could happen? You know, you run and then sometimes you run alone and you run solo and you you don't have the support or the knowledge of what that process looks like. And then there's the reality where you can run and have a machine behind you. And, and by machine, I mean people who are helping you deal with all of the different moving pieces of a campaign and running for office. And our Black Party can be that thing that both opens people's eyes to pay attention to what's happening in their communities and what people care about or don't care about, and then also being able to build that machine that can help power them into office. You know, one of my favorite words and it ended up being part of the name of the podcast is equity. And so you're calling for a chief equity officer what first of all, what does equity mean to you? Either one of you could could answer. What does equity mean to you? And what will this chief equity officer uh, that is around the country? What will they be able to do? What is what are we calling for them to put into action? So, so both Candace and I, both Mayor Hollingsworth and I, uh, have put forth equity policy agendas in our respective cities cities. Uh, Mayor Hollingsworth has put together an uh, equity document in which she has proposed over 35 different equitable policies to be um, implemented within the city of Hyattsville, Maryland. Uh, I put forth an equity package of sorts in which was four and a half million dollars in resources to underserved communities uh, in Charlottesville as, as well as wrote something called the Business Equity Fund which was mm -hmm. uh, nearly thirty thousand dollars in resources for black businesses to be able to either start or scale up their business and get those resources from the local city council. So to us, uh, equity is a term that we hold near and dear to our hearts. This isn't something that we're just talking about. 
This isn't something that we just read kind of online and then we say, hey, that's a cool buzzword. We've actually put the work in in terms of policy and bringing forth equitable uh, policy enactments within our elected capacity. So when we think about a chief equity officer in a gubernatorial capacity and in a governor's cabinet, essentially what you see now is many states in their governor's office, they have several different secretaries or commissioners, and those individuals serve as advisors um, or leads in specific areas for their, for their governors. What we're advocating for is that there has to be a chief equity officer, an individual whose job is their, their sole responsibility is to ensure that laws that are being brought forth, whether in the House or the Senate, or whatever their uh, state's governor makeup is, governor's um, electoral process is, from a statewide perspective, we want to ensure that all laws that are being forth are brought forth are put through an equity toolkit. We want to ensure that the policies that are bringing are being forth placed on the on the table rather are not being uh, disadvantageous to Black folk or people of color as a whole. We want to ensure that this individual in this position has a voice at the table to say, "No, you need to be advocating for X, Y, and Z." And when we also call for these commissions of African American advancement and throughout the municipalities. We're allowing for localities to appoint their own commissioners or own experts from their own community to advocate for what the needs are in their specific locality. Again, Black folk are not a monolithic group, and the needs that are in Charlottesville may be different from the needs of Tacoma, Washington, which may be different from the needs of Black folk in Albuquerque, New Mexico. However, if you can allow these commissions to be started, they can create their own uh, platforms or sheets of sorts of what they need to address economic inequity, um, educational inequity, health disparities, and so forth, specifically for the Black community. And then you can have those followed up by your chief equity officer on the state level to be able to say, yes, we need to support X, Y, and Z. And maybe there are state resources that need to be placed behind such measures and so forth. I'm hearing a lot of accountability in what we're hearing today. It, it's it's hey, we've been saying this for years, we've been wanting all these things to happen, but now we have to put something in place so then we're actually measuring uh, what we're asking for, measuring the progress of everything, holding officials uh, accountable. So I know this, this may sound crazy, but I have to ask this question. Was there no accountability prior to now? I'll let Candace answer that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> People are accountable to, there's accountability. It's just okay. what people are accountable to. Okay. Um, and what we're used to is very large, organized, um, and extremely vocal groups um, or bodies that have been sophisticated enough to navigate this very, this very system that we are talking about right now. Mm -hmm. And not only have they navigated it politically, they've also navigated it with money. And they've been able to, you know, corral resources together or figure out how to make sure that people know where the resources are in their community so that people, to a certain degree, become gatekeepers mm -hmm. for elected office. I'm sure, and, you know, for example, where I am, there, there are certain people that you need to go talk to when you're thinking about running for office, right? right? And in large part, that's because they somehow have control over somebody's purse. And we want to at least make it such that not only are we having, are we making demands, but we're also being able to raise money so we can help people finance those campaigns. And so that when you're talking about what you're accountable to, you're accountable to 
black demands and black dollars. And so we want to make sure that we create that ecosystem. So it's not just the perception that advocacy is only on Twitter, because we know that black folks have organized for years. Black folks have always done collective, you know, collecting resources together. We, um, so that part is not new. And, and I definitely bristle when people say, oh, you know, black folks need to get involved. We've always been involved. In fact, we probably was involved before you do, you mm -hmm. were. Um, but we now have to play the game in the same way, or at least in a way that can yield the results that everyone else is able to get somehow, but yet we haven't. So for black people, there has not been accountability, but there is certainly an accountability structure that's at, that's at work. I'm interested to know, Mayor, how often are you communicating with black business owners and investors in your area? Let me let me uh, get some context to why I'm asking that, mm -hmm. because we're talking about people getting involved or maybe they have been involved before. I want to give people a kind of an inside look into what does it take to communicate with an elected officer, uh, elected official. Uh, so how often are you speaking with business owners and investors in your particular area? And how often should uh, businesses and investors be speaking with their elected officials in their particular cities? Yeah. Um, so that's, a, that's an interesting question um, because I think a large part of how I communicate is a result of my personal style. Um, and so my personal style isn't one that's very formal. Mm -hmm. um, and so my communications with people is often not very formal. Um, mo mo many, I would probably say the majority of black business owners in our community have my number, have my personal cell phone number. And our communications might be on um, text, they might be email, they might be <laughs> IG message, it might be Twitter on occasion or Facebook. Um, and I've... For me, it was important before I started my term to talk with people individually to find out the things that were important to them and uncover common themes. And then I take that as the data that I use to inform how I draft a policy, how I want to modify how our you know, city government works. Um, and then during the pandemic, or during quarantine rather, that became even more important because it wasn't just okay, I, I know these things that are top of mind. It was also, hey, um, Hope, how are you doing over there? I need to understand you know, what's going on. I need to know, yeah, we passed this program, but did, did my staff come out there and bring you an application directly? Or did they send you directly an email about the application? Because you can pass a policy, but then if you don't have staff members that are committed to make sure the distribution of that information is equitable, you could then end up still shutting out the people who need those, that, that piece of information. So for me, I you know, do what I can on a political side, and then I often communicate one-on-one -on -one with them to say, hey, this went up or this is going up tomorrow. Get ready to get your applications in. Make sure you, do, make sure you follow up with this person. Or if they have an issue, I'll say, hey, they'll say, hey, Candace, can you help me with this? And I'll say, okay, I want you to contact this person and let me know how that goes because I can follow up and make sure it's done. And that goes not just with city government, but also navigating the county politics, navigating the state government as well. So I, I am happy to call many of our black business owners um, 
really close close acquaintances and i i that is important for me because in a role where you are the first african-american mayor of a city that although it's diverse the electorate is predominantly white there are times you have to do things to make sure that people are covered and you can't be as um there was a time we couldn't be as vocal about it mm-hmm. needed to be a bit more stealth <laughs> in making sure that folks got what they needed and so it's important to me to have those close relationships with them because it helps hold me accountable personally because I need to always remember why I'm doing the work that I'm doing. Dr. Bellamy, similar question with, you mentioned being a vice mayor Mm -hmm. uh, in Charlottesville and city councilman. How often are black owned businesses, black investors, how often were they reaching out to you and communicating with you? And if they, if it wasn't quite what you needed uh, at the time, how can they do How could they have done a better job? And once again, to frame the question, I'm, I'm trying to help people from around the country understand what they can do uh, to get more involved in, into the, the politics world. Yeah, I think there has to be a vested interest from not only the local elected officials, but a desire from the folks who are in the community to start the businesses, or excuse me, who are in the business community. Mm-hmm. So for me, we were in consistent, constant communication for Black-owned businesses. But I also understand that there's a level of privilege and just a level of, um, you said we can cuss on this podcast? Yes, you can. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there was a level of just like not giving a fuck um, yeah. from my perspective. And I know not all elected officials operate from, from that kind of way of thinking. So I make sure like majority, I would say 90% of the meals that I eat are from Black-owned businesses. Um, like the clothes that I wear, they are no, like have some kind of message about something being black. Like my shirt, my sweater says, my black wife makes me smile. Like my wife makes me t-shirts that says something about black all the time. I'm very intentional in terms of, even when I was on city council sitting on the dais talking about the needs for black folk. I mean, I wrote the business equity fund and being very specific about how we need to increase black ownership or black businesses within the city. I started something called the Minority Business Commission in which we literally did research. We, we appointed uh, Black folk from the community to figure out how we can make new policies to get better bonding um, and ease the, the contracting process for our locality to be able to, to work with more uh, Black-owned businesses for that matter. That's not something that I know a lot of elected officials choose to do, but I also was not worried about running um, again in four years. So I, my, my intent was to do everything that I could for all people, but with the emphasis on our people while in office. Um, and I think sometimes I've noticed uh, localities around mine, there are elected officials. Uh, there's not a lot of us black folk who are elected, but some of them often get judged and they'll say, well, Wes or Dr. Bellamy in Charlottesville did this, why can't you all do that? And my style isn't everyone's style. So I think that's also important for us to understand that just because individuals are elected, not everyone has the same style. Not everyone uh, operates the same way. I think it's important for, for black business owners as well as black elected officials or just elected officials in general to build uh, a cohesiveness, to build uh, lines of communication, and for us to be able to think about policy measures and not symbolic measures that are going to move our people forward. I think 
black businesses and black people as a whole have to be willing to mobilize themselves to say that we are a voting block. We are constituency groups that you have to listen to and that you have to put specific policy measures and resource measures uh, for. We, the same way that people do them for anyone else, there's no reason why those things can't be done for black folk. We just have to be willing to do so and be willing to have the political will to be able to do so, even if it means costing us an election down the line. One of the things that I would like to add, especially for black business owners, black business owners and um, investors work that are interested in navigating the political space and getting more involved in it is, at least from a business side, would be <clears throat> um, getting to understand who the kingmakers in your community are. Now, as much as we are working within that system, we have to, in wanting to disrupt it, we have to recognize that it is a system that exists. And so, you know, get to know who those people are so that they, um, you know, when they're having their campaign events, their, you know, fundraisers or whatever, that you are, the, you are someone who's a standing invitation. Because those, you know, people listen to, unfortunately, many elected officials, black or white, listen to the last person that was in their ear many times. So that's one. Secondly, in terms of doing business, it's important to, you know, if you are, if you don't have any work with a municipality or a county or jurisdiction and you're seeking that work, reach out to their, you know, their treasurers or their, you know, business services departments or whatever and send your capability, your capability statements to them um, because they often have, you know, what they call their vendors lists, which are lists of vendors that they've worked with, you know, consistently over the years. It allows them to get a little bit of ease in the procurement process and sometimes they can end up using that to um, make their procurement standards a little bit um, easier for them to bear and kind of reduce the hurdles for them. So get on their vendors list, get to know who those people are, send those statements and do that. The other side is that I know municipalities, especially growing um, cities right outside of urban areas, are definitely interested in um, having more interactions with Black developers. That is an area that is um, whether whether your develop whether your side of development is on um, land assembly or if it's in actually developing a product um, you know a housing product or a commercial product or if it's in land use zoning um, on the on the the legal side all of those all of those elements of the development process need and folks are interested in having black folks take the lead on those areas. So I think those are the kind the ones that come immediately to mind for me. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Dr. Bellamy, you mentioned something earlier, and I've heard you mention this in other interviews. I don't know if anyone's ever asked this, but I have to ask. You said that you're not a political party yet. Mm -hmm. What is what is this yet? Where is this yet coming from? Is, is there works on something being official in that realm? So my, my sister, Mayor Candace Hollingsworth, the Honorable Mayor Candace Hollingsworth, uh, said it best. We are flexible and we will adopt to the needs of the movement. We will adopt to the needs, adopt and adapt to the needs rather of the culture. So however we need to um, show face, we are prepared to put ourselves in position to do so. We're working diligently to ensure that our people will not be taken for granted point blank period. 
and exercising our collective political power. at the current landscape of politics right now um just a just a quick question are we are we are we being represented for this uh coming up election for 2020 we keep hearing about a black agenda we keep hearing about and i'm talking more on the national side but we keep hearing about a black agenda we keep hearing uh you know maybe a, a black vp are is 2020 at least a black perspective? Are we just going to just not necessarily have what we're looking for for this one? And we're really looking for the next four, eight, 12 years? Because I'm hearing us talking about a, a black agenda, but I'm not necessarily seeing like a true, um, any type of true movement in it. And maybe I'm missing it. No, so, you're not missing it. Okay. So the black agenda exists. Um, you know, as, as I think Wes talked about at the top of the call, um, the Black Future, Black to the Black to the Future Action Fund. Yes. Um, along with Black Features Lab, did the Black Census that surveyed close to forty thousand Black folks across the country and um, assembled all of that input into the Black Agenda. And it okay. covers a variety of domains, from housing to you know labor market participation, um, education, decriminalization of marijuana or legalization of marijuana, the criminal legal system, all of those you know different elements, right? And now we have with Movement for Black Lives, the BREATHE Act, which is very much so aligned with the Black agenda. Um, many of the um, elements that are priority pieces in that um, draft bill are related to the domains that are covered in the Black agenda from Black to the Future, Black to the Future Action Plan. Now, where that gets murky <laughs> for me is when you have candidates who are doing everything that they can, slight sarcasm, everything that they can to get the Black vote, but they're not doing everything that they need to do to show that they respect the Black vote. Right. And so they'll leave things at a talking point level. It's like, we're going to root out systemic racism because that's the phrase that they've learned is important to know. They've at least learned that much. But then when you look at the policies they propose, and by there I'm talking primarily about the, the presumptive Democratic no nominee, you look at their policies and they are extensions of the same things that we have been doing all along with no real radical shifts in either how those, how those um, activities are delivered, how they're funded, the level at which they're funded or anything. And so how can you say you're going to root out, sis, root out systemic racism and do the same thing we've always been doing. Right. You can't do that. And so it's important for us, our Black Party, to highlight those areas where the policies are just point blank, they're weak. Mm -hmm. They are doing just enough to satisfy the talking heads and doing just enough to get the headline for someone to say, oh, this is the most progressive platform since you know, the New Deal but they're really not going to yield, at least in the way that they're currently structured, any real results for Black folks unless there's a change. And so we are definitely making sure that we're putting um, the policy frameworks in place so we can say, uh-uh, nope, that's, you know, what you're proposing here is not gonna work. 
you need to adapt this to do to do it a different way if you want if you're actually committed to doing what you say you want to do for the black agenda this is how this needs to be revised and needs to be run you know and I, I just can't understand i mean i i get the systematic racism so that's probably the answer but i just can't understand why you would not want to take care of the black community when by having a thriving black community it's going to elevate the entire country i i, I understand that the understand is, what no. does what does doing that if i don't do it what are the repercussions yeah right there have been no repercussions for for not doing what um what what black folks have asked so they just for those making that decision to not necessarily uh focus on the black vote and really have a strong black uh a black agenda they're just basically going to allow the country to stay even kill and not necessarily progress not necessarily get better they're just going to let it be what it always is and the people that are in power are just going to be in power and then nothing gets better nothing improves we just keep going around this cycle for another 15 20 years well i think you have to ask yourself get better for who right if we're being honest when has america ever cared about the needs of black folk like i live in charlottesville virginia mm -hmm. the home of thomas jefferson the guy who wrote the independent uh, the declaration of independence that left black folk out of it and he knew and he admitted that slavery was was wrong but he still benefited from it i mean our country is rooted on white supremacy our country has been based off uh making profit off the backs of black people so for individuals to think that right now there will be some kind of uh epiphany and they're going to ensure that black folk are going to get everything that they need in a systemic fashion is just a fallacy we have to we have to ensure that that happens and again, that's why we say it's so important for us to not only own our own economics, but own our own politics. And that's what our Black Party is about. So if you want to be heard, join us, www.ourblackparty.org. Okay, so let me, after we join you on your yeah. website and we put our information in, what happens next? What, what is the, the, uh, the rollout plan as far as working with you and being part of your world and your frequency? Yeah, so we're definitely growing um, in, in that sense is that this is, we are building this from the ground up and also building it as it's going. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of our, the, the biggest thing that we are doing coming up is that we're, we're arranging a number of regional calls because there are folks in cities across the country that are like, it's about time. I want, you know, I want to get involved. I want to do something. So we are having those regional calls um, during the last two weeks of August where people can join to hear more about join the call to hear more about our black party what we're doing what we see on the horizon for the organization how they can be involved and um how how we need them and what that network can look like in their communities because it's not just you know the national um agenda or the national framework there's also very specific localized and regional needs that need to be addressed too so we want to develop a team of people that are interested in working on that level as well to make sure that we're addressing it truly at federal, state, and local levels. Um, and then we'll be having our town hall in September, the date to be announced, um, where we'll be doing a number of panels about the importance of owning our politics, of you know getting people to understand that it's time for us to raise our expectations of what the political systems can deliver and should deliver to us. 
Um, and so that town hall will be the next opportunity. And then beyond that, it will be helping us identify folks in communities that need to run if they're not thinking about it already. It'll be helping us identify your elected officials who, you know, you, you, know, you say, hey, I want to know where they stand on this. I'm going to send them this, this questionnaire so I can find out where they sit on issues related to Black agenda. Mm -hmm. And we start collecting that, you know, assembling a data warehouse of sorts of where elected officials are across the country, regardless of party, regardless of race and ethnicity, where they sit on issues that are important to Black folks. Um, and then we are going to start having action or calls to actions where people can um, participate in urging their local elected officials as well as um, national elected officials on the issues of the day. So that's what we're envisioning going forward. Um, and we, we plan to start announcing the regional calls next week. I'm excited about um, being part of your vision and part of your mission. I've already signed up for alerts and everything sent to my email. So I'm definitely excited about that. Uh, and one more time, Dr. Bellamy, what is the website that everybody needs to go to? Got to get in one more time before my last question. www.ourblackparty.org. Thank you very much for that. Last question, I promise. Um, I, I just want to know this because I may not have the opportunity to ask this to uh, two elected officials. Did you, once you got elected, once you were on the other side, did you experience, was it, was it what you thought it would be? You know, we get into these, these <laughs> campaigns because we want to change the world and we want to make uh, systematic change. But w once you're elected, were you able to make the moves that you wanted to make? Were you able to do the things that you wanted to do? Or is, this too, is there too much red tape? Is there too much uh, things in the way that are preventing it? If I don't ask that, I feel like I, I've, I'll walk away regretting it. So I just wanted to know what your thoughts are on that. Mm, I will say, hell no. Nah. What I no, thought it was gonna be, okay. what I thought it was gonna be was completely different from what it was. Mm -hmm. And I think on multiple sides, I'm up, so I'm going to be long with it. I'm going to take about, I'm going to take about, uh, about 180 seconds. You're going to be like me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think one of the most challenging things in the world is being a black elected official. Mm. Because for our folk, we are often, um, once we get into the seat, people believe that we should fix everything immediately. Yeah. I think while we're campaigning, um, for those of us who haven't been in office, while you're campaigning, you are thinking that you have so many great ideas. You you have a way to get those ideas implemented. You 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 have a vision, but then once you get in office, you realize you see the other side of the work in which you have to build consensus. You have to get collective votes to be able to do anything, and then you realize the bureaucracy that's in the public office, as well as the amount of time that it takes to get things done. You also have to do a lot of political maneuvering. So there's always a game of chess being played, but you have to understand that when you're playing chess, for many of us, we're playing against people who've been playing this game for X amount of years longer than we have. So because of such, 
you're having to navigate all of this on that side while also trying to one remain true to yourself remain true to your people and when you go back in frequent neighborhoods or places in which you always would do so they would ask you why haven't you done this yet or i'm just going to call you because i know that you know west can get it done i mean i can't tell you how many times and i'm i'm longer in office but i get calls about uh can you help me with my rent? My lights got cut off. Such and such got locked up. I need a character letter. Um, can you get the zoning stuff passed? Can you help? What, whatever, right? And you have to really be Superman or Superwoman while you're in office while also getting an, an enormous amount of critiques because mm -hmm. people believe that you should be doing X, Y, and Z. And because you're not doing it at the speed in which they believe it should be done, you're not being effective. So it's a consistent and constant dynamic and internal battle that you're fighting while you're black and elected while still trying to figure it out yourself. So I think, you know, people don't necessarily understand that aspect of it. And then as a human being, we haven't even talked about your own emotional needs. We haven't talked about the sacrifice that you're giving with your family. We haven't talked about the time that you may be giving away from your, taking away from your children because you're trying to make things better for your community. And that's just on a local level. We ain't even talk about like when you start doing the stuff that Candace and I doing on this national level now, we already have our local responsibilities and now we're trying to do stuff for people across the country in which we've been on calls for six, seven months now until one, two o'clock in the morning trying to get things done. And, 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 and it's a battle. So I think that's the side of it that people don't quite understand when they're looking to run for office. However, I will say, that there is nothing like putting forth a policy and getting it passed that you know will have a powerful impact on your community. And to me, that makes it all worth it. There's nothing like going to a school and seeing, or to a grocery store and the kids saying, hey, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're West, I saw you on TV, I saw you on the news, aren't you that guy I saw on the news? And you tell them, yeah, tighten up. I wanna, I wanna see your grades, I'm pulling up at your school and I, I wanna make sure you're doing what you're supposed to do. Or you tell them, hey, you can be in my seat. Or when you you, you put forth a, a measure or something like an equity policy, like uh, Candace and I worked on, and you see people finally get resources to be able to change their lives. That makes it worth it. But in the totality of it all, this is very challenging work. And we want people to not only recognize it, but find their own power because we as electeds can't do this work by ourselves. That's why, again, this is our black party. In order for black people to own their politics, we're going to have to own our economics. We're going to have to own our education. We're going to have to all use our levels of expertise, your time, your talent, or your treasure to help us move this needle forward. We can't do it alone. So again, come get with us, www.ourblackparty.org. And did you want to add anything, uh, Mayor Hollingsworth? You're fine. I think um, everything that Wes said is absolutely spot on. Um, the other thing, um, a couple of things I would add to that is, especially as a black woman, mm. um, people, especially in this moment where, you know, black women are getting accolades and people are finally recognizing that black women are responsible for a whole lot of shit. Mm -hmm. They somehow like to take joy in the fact that they voted for you. And then in their mind, they contributed to something by putting you in a position where you now have to work so many hours away from your family, away from your children, also not being paid enough to sustain a family. 
to mm. do the work and you're actually overworking a black woman because they because it's black mm. women that step up to do the stuff that needs to be done. Mm. Um and that that part has really been it's been messing with my mind quite honestly. Because it's like I stepped up to do this because I believe I can and I and I'm doing it because my kids, you know, selfishly, I want this to be a better city for my kids when they get to be adults. And so you know, I'm getting in there because I do see the real benefit to my family. But at the same time, it's like, this is exhausting work. Mm-hmm. Because it's exhausting, uh, you know, just emotionally and physically and mentally. And then, you know, just with the work itself, and then with everyone else's expectations, their critiques, their you know, shoulda, coulda, wouldas, the Monday morning quarterback and all of those things that are at play on top of navigating a system that you're not supposed to be in. And, and then also navigating a male-dominated, you know, typically male-dominated system. Um, and the toll that that takes on, so like for my family, for example, the first four years I was elected mayor, I intentionally pulled back from working full time so that I could focus on doing the job well. That meant for four years, my primary income was through this elected office. Mm-hmm. So I want to put some numbers to what that means, primary income. That means for four years, $12,000 a year was the primary income for all of the work and effort that I that I gave towards the city. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. And so, and then when I ran for another office, because I realized that the things that I was passionate about addressing around gentrification and affordable housing, the policy lever was at the county level. It wasn't the city. So if I wanted to address it, I needed to be doing work at the county level. So I ran for that seat. And my opponent, do you know the thing that they that they brought out to discredit me, mm. the fact that I was in debt. Wow. So, you know, it's all of those things <laughs> that, you know, as an elected official, it's like you're putting your entire life on a full plate for people to just feast on and benefit from while at the same time draining you. And so to for people who decide to do this work, I think it's important that we have that candid, you know, that candid conversation is like, look, this, it, it may look like it's, you know, viral tweets and celebrity on, t- on television. That may be what it looks like, but that's not what this work is. Not when you're really doing your job. That's not what it is. It is, you know, paying attention to every email, every phone call, and not just responding in the moment to that thing that the person asked for, but figuring out how you can create a policy or program so they don't have to ever ask you again. Mm. I like that. Yeah, have, so it's, it's, it's just a lot. It's a lot. I have one minute, and I want to make sure I, I follow up with what you said. So when somebody, when somebody votes for you, some people have this sense of entitlement that they have some type of ownership of you now and ownership of your time and can dictate to you what you should be doing. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. And I feel like it's even worse for women. Oh yeah. Sure. Mm. For sure. I mean, because don't get it twisted. Within all of this, there's still a level of sexism, misogyny, Mm -hmm. that brothers 
put on our sisters. I mean, just because you're in politics and have some power doesn't mean that the ills of the world have changed. And I know in our Black Party, we, we are uh, woman-led. I mean, our National Steering Committee consists of five people at this time, three of which are women. And, um, you know, we, we try to ensure and, and talk to our brothers about making sure that they respect our sisters and, and protect our sisters, which is also part of our mantra. However, you know, in this political game, it's, it's no different. And those are the things that we have to break, you yeah. know, like not just the misogyny and, and sexism, but ensuring that people recognize the work that you're putting in. Like this, this isn't a game. Like we're not, this isn't, this isn't something that we just doing for fun. I mean, this is a sacrifice. So again, you want to help out, you want to do the work, www.ourblackparty.org. Click the donate tab, click the volunteer tab. We got information coming out soon. Tap in. You're going to have to pay your overtime. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. West Bellamy. Thank you, Mayor Hollingsworth, uh, for having this. To me, it's a pivotal conversation. Um, you are welcome to come back in the future. I'll be joining a lot of these calls that you have coming up and being as active as I possibly can be. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I okay. want to be able to understand how to play this game out here. Uh, yeah. Like you said, it's not a game, but you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, yeah Understanding yeah. the landscape. Uh, and let me see if I get this right. For everybody who is interested in knowing more, go to www.ourblackparty.org. Yeah, yes. ourblackparty.org. I got yeah. it. Sign up, take the survey, <laughs> and donate. Definitely. Thank you so much for coming on. It was great. And, and since you're in Charlotte, please go see, go visit Lee and Louise, my friends from... from elementary school opened that restaurant and I'm jealous I can't be there to, to get to it but Lee and Louise Leah and Louise okay. they used to um, run the yolk I don't know if you're familiar with that restaurant no. oh word uh huh it, it, DJ my uh, I'm in Charlotte all the time I have a, I have a daughter that lives in Charlotte so I didn't I didn't know they used to own the, the yolk oh we gonna pull up yeah, yeah, I'm gonna have to do that. I'm gonna have to do Mask that. On. For sure. Mask on, of course. Mask <laughs> Greg, 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 and Sabrina Collier, um, black-owned, great people, and they have put down the gauntlet. Was like, we're not doing business with people who don't respect black folks. Dope. Whether that's a farmer, a distributor, or whatever. So. Okay. Dope. I'll, I'll definitely check them out. Thank you for letting me know about that. Mm -hmm. Thank right. you. Thank you both for coming on, and we'll thank be talking you. to you again soon. Appreciate you. Bye. If you are interested in working with Our Black Party, I want you to head over to www.ourblackparty.org and make sure that you fill out the information on there. Stay in tune with what they're doing. I know I will be attending some of the upcoming uh, meetings and events that they have because I want to understand what I need to do in my local community as a business owner and as an investor. Uh, to make sure that I have true equity within my own local uh, government, understanding who are all the the players in this game, uh, the political game. Um, and maybe that results in, uh, you know, more conversations on this uh, podcast and more private conversations that won't be aired. And so if you are looking to uh, do that or to partner or collaborate uh, make sure you also send us a message over at Black Equity Network at gmail.com. 
and let's stay connected on this topic. Or if there's one in the past, make sure you send us some messages about that as well. Thank you to both Mayor Candace Hollingsworth and Dr. Wes Bellamy for this next level conversation uh, that is going to get us right in the middle of what's going on in our communities and how we can be involved. Thank you for listening to the Black Equity Podcast, and we'll be talking again soon.